TCU and Georgia advanced to the national championship after a dramatic semifinal round of the college football playoff. We're going to break down the Fiesta and Peach Bowls in our semifinal recap. This is the Ultimate College Football Podcast. Welcome to the Ultimate College Football Podcast, providing national coverage of America's greatest sport. Look for new episodes every Sunday and Thursday through the college football season. Remember to subscribe and review or rate the show wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to contact the show, please reach us by email at ultimatecfbpod at gmail.com or by Twitter at cfb underscore ultimate. Welcome to the Ultimate College Football Podcast, and we wish you a very happy New Year as we are recording actually on New Year's Eve where we are over on the West Coast. We are going ahead and recording this after the semifinal games have now just concluded, so it is fresh in our mind, and boy did we have a dramatic college football playoff. Throughout the previous eight years of the playoff, the semifinal games have been plagued with blowouts. It's been unusual to have, in some years, even just one competitive playoff game, and this year we had two dramatic games that went right to the end. Very exciting football. Couldn't really ask for a better day of football outside the lopsided Sugar to start today, but certainly one of the more entertaining days of college football that I can remember, and certainly is great for college football fans that the biggest day of the football season delivered. We ended up going 2-0 in our semifinal predictions, as we did correctly predict TCU upsetting Michigan, and we did predict Georgia would defeat Ohio State. That prediction we can't take as much pride in because we did call for a blowout, and Ohio State really controlled the game, and you could argue should have won the game, but we're going to unpack it all. There's a lot to get to. A lot happened in both of these games, and we're just going to take them in chronological order. So that means we're going to begin with the Fiesta Bowl between Michigan and TCU. And this game took a lot of people for surprise. The Horn Frogs didn't garner the respect that they deserved. If you looked at them throughout the season, even though they played in a lot of close games and they didn't necessarily have that signature win like in Michigan over in Ohio State, they had a really good resume, had been playing very good all season beat every team that they played, and they played in a Big 12 that, although the conference has not done very well in bowl season, it was a pretty stout league this year, particularly when you look at the depth of the conference, really no give-me games for the most part. TCU had one of the best strength of records out of anyone in the nation, and they definitely earned their way to the college football playoff, but a lot of people did not expect them to be able to compete with the Michigan Wolverines. There's a lot of things that go into that, for one, on paper, Michigan is more talented than TCU for whatever that is worth. Evidently, not a whole lot in this game since TCU won the game and pretty well controlled it throughout. Another factor that made people doubt TCU is probably just the logo and the fact that TCU isn't one of these tradition-rich brands in college football like the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan playing in the Big Ten, even though the conference was down this year. They are one of the more prestigious, at least, 
brand-wise conferences in the nation, and they're only becoming more so when you look at what is going on off of the field. So Michigan, they got a lot of respect, and of course, they have one of the signature wins of the season, thumping a playoff team in Ohio State that turned out to be very good after today's Peach Bowl. They certainly showed their worth after today's results. So a lot of skepticism surrounding TCU, but probably the biggest question, and this is what we talked about in our preview episode, is whether or not TCU could match up physically because Michigan, that has been their bread and butter all season long. They are elite defensively and they are elite on the offensive line and in their running game. And if TCU cannot compete in the trenches, they probably didn't stand much of a chance. We thought that TCU could hold their own, but TCU ended up actually surpassing our expectations. TCU didn't merely hold their own. They actually won the battle up front from time to time on both the offensive and defensive lines, and you have to give a ton of credit to TCU's defensive front and their offensive line. Michigan has been a run-first team all season long, and TCU pretty much shut down the Michigan defense. Later in the game, Michigan started incorporating the quarterback run with McCarthy, and they had success with it. But before that point, Donovan Edwards pretty well got shut down outside of the opening play, which went for a 50-plus yard run. Edwards rushed for 56 yards, so TCU, they stopped the Michigan running game, and they forced Michigan to have to throw the football and do things that they're not used to doing. So TCU's defense, I thought they were one of the stars of this game, really impressed with the speed of TCU, which is something that those who have followed TCU at least should be very aware of. TCU is a very fast football team, and I was really impressed with the way that their defensive backs and linebackers were able to play downhill in the run game. They were able to sniff out a lot of runs pretty early on, and all of that, of course, is possible because TCU, in their 3-3-5 look, they were able to hold their own and take up blocks in their defensive front. Their three-man defensive front did an excellent job. They are one of the major stars of this game for TCU, and TCU running that 3-3-5, I do think that worked to their advantage when you look at the fact that Michigan is not very used to that defense, and it can be a little bit tricky to block against. On one hand, there should be a lot of room when you have guys off of the line of scrimmage like that, but if you're not used to playing that type of defense, it can make it harder to identify your assignment, and TCU was able to take advantage of that from time to time. You can still load the box in the 3-3-5, and TCU certainly did that at times, but really impressive still that with the 3-3-5, they were able to just run their base defense and shut down the Michigan running game. Michigan ended up having to go to the air, and they actually had a lot of success in the passing game, able to make some big plays down the field, particularly their star wide receiver, Ronnie Bell. But TCU stopped what they needed to stop, and while McCarthy made some really good throws, and he certainly had some really good moments in this game, the TCU defense was able to come up with two pick sixes that you could say was maybe the difference in the game, certainly one of the major factors in a TCU's victory, and a turnover are something we should address. There were three takeaways 
despite a TCU defense where you could say three offensive turnovers for Michigan and then two on the other side of the ball. And those certainly did play a major part of this game. This game was close enough that you could say on either side, regardless of who won or lost, you could point to one of those plays as being the difference in the game. So TCU having those two pick sixes, being able to jump routes, being able to bait McCarthy, that was really big in TCU's victory. And another example of how this TCU defense contributed to the Horn Frogs' victory. The third takeaway that we should mention was a fumble that was more of a self-inflicted wound by Michigan in the first half. They had the ball at the one-yard line, and they had a problem with the snap to the fullback, ended up fumbling. TCU recovers, and seven points then end up being taken off the board, or Michigan can't capitalize on that scoring opportunity. So the takeaways were huge in this game. Michigan, they got two interceptions one of those a pretty big mistake by TCU it hits the wide receiver in the chest would have been caught for a first down on third down instead ends up being an easy interception and the two takeaways or interceptions the Michigan defense forced both on deflected balls certainly helped give Michigan some opportunities to make their way back in this game and to potentially win and all throughout this game it really was kind of a game of catch-up TCU they got off to a great start able to get that early pick six was able to stop Michigan in the red zone stopping them on a fourth down in Michigan's first drive and eventually getting off to a fairly big lead led 21 to 6 at halftime and then in the third quarter when the offenses exploded every time Michigan was able to claw back and make it a ball game TCU always had a response and they kept on making it a two possession game so really impressive how both teams kept responding I think especially on TCU side because there were several instances where I think a lot of people thought okay Michigan they're getting their feet under them they're going to start taking control of this game that never really happened and TCU kept on counter-striking every time Michigan came within reach. Even though the offenses certainly had a great third quarter and a bunch of points were scored, I thought the defenses certainly had their moments. The Wolverines were pretty aggressive defensively. They kept a lot of their coverman on islands, a lot of man-to-man coverage. And while they, for a lot of this game, were able to limit the big pass play, that did leave a lot of things open, particularly in the run game. And TC was able to eventually get some big plays, particularly more in the yak yardage where they would get past the defender and then there'd be a ton of room to run Quentin Johnston's long touchdown in the second half is an example of that so while Michigan's aggressiveness certainly paid off at times it came back to bite them as well TCU of course got some of those big pass plays but overall they were more productive on the ground I would say and I think the threat of Max Duggan helped in their rushing game even though Duggan didn't run a lot in this game the fact that Michigan had to account for Duggan's legs really did help open up the running backs Miller before he left the game in the second half with an injury he had a really nice day on the ground and then his successor DiMicardo he rushed for 150 yards so the TCU offense which is very balanced we tend to focus more on the passing game but they also run the ball really well and that balance was instrumental in TCU's offensive success so a tremendous performance by TCU they were 
the better team. We should mention some of, I'm not going to say necessarily the controversy, but I should bring it up. Probably the biggest bone, if you are a Michigan fan, is that interception that set up then the long pass play, where then Michigan fumbled on the one-yard line. They did misspot that interception. Michigan should have been a little bit farther down the field by a few yards, and that would have resulted in a touchdown on the long pass play, and there is some controversy as to reversing the call on the field. They called the long pass play a touchdown, but over review, they switched it to him being down inside the one, and then they fumbled the next play. So that is certainly a point of contention, particularly in a close game like this. But I think TCU still outplayed Michigan, and they were the better team, even if you take that into account. The other point that has been raised by a lot of Michigan fans was the targeting at the end, the last play on the fourth down for Michigan, where they came up well short, but they did review it for targeting. I think it was a good no call, so I don't think there's any controversy there. But we should bring it up because it is something that has been talked about, particularly on the Michigan side. But overall, a really entertaining entertaining game and really the first upset at least major upset we've had in the semifinals at least in some time the semifinals are known for being pretty chalky unusual to have the underdog win but TCU they pull off the upset and just a remarkable performance in this game and just by TCU all year what they've been able to accomplish going from five and seven and three and six in big 12 play to the college football playoff and now the national championship game TCU they're going to try to win their first national championship since 1938 truly remarkable especially when you take into account this team's history when they were left out of the big 12 the southwest conference dissolved and they were basically kind of in purgatory for a long time had to work their way in the bcs days as a non-bcs school and of course gary patterson what he did one of the great coaching jobs of the 21st century and now sunny dykes in his first season he leads the horn frogs to the national championship game one of the best first seasons for any head coach at least when you take into account what he inherited and what he ended up producing in his first season really remarkable and even more remarkable when you take into account what TCU has done it is really unprecedented at least in this era of college football teams like TCU they're not supposed to contend for the national championship they're not supposed to beat teams like Michigan teams like TCU based upon their recruiting on paper at least and their roster they are not supposed to be able to win in the college football playoff or even necessarily make it but TCU they are able to punch their ticket to the national championship game and we'll see if they can win it all truly a historic season for tcu and in a day and age where there are a lot of talks about the haves and the have-nots and about how the blue bloods and some of the powerful teams and conferences in the sport are kind of pulling away from everyone else and i'm not saying that this result doesn't mitigate some of the developments in college football but last season a group of five teams in Cincinnati made the playoff this year. TCU from the Big 12 there in the national championship game. This is certainly a positive sign for the so-called kind of left behinds and conference realignment and in some of the developments of college football. And with the playoff expanding in the very near future, those teams are going to have a seat at the table. 
So I think this is, for a lot of programs, a very encouraging result, and it should give a lot of people hope for what they can accomplish. There are a lot of teams in college football that if they get the right head coach, if they have the right institutional support, they can still do great things. I'm not saying a national championship appearance is realistic for everyone, but this is certainly a very encouraging result for a lot of people. But we're going to leave that be certainly a great game in the Fiesta Bowl, but we're going to move on now to our second semifinal game, the Peach Bowl. This game had a lot of hype entering it, and it definitely lived up to the hype. We personally had some doubts about Ohio State, but give the Buckeyes a lot of credit. Ohio State as a program was undergoing a lot of criticism from the media, from their own fan base. There was a lot of discontentment after that blowout loss to Michigan, and a lot of people were even questioning Ryan Day and the program despite all the success they've had in recent years. But I thought Ryan Day and his staff did an excellent job preparing the Buckeyes for this game. They had a great game plan, and I think they did some really smart things. They focused on incorporating C.J. Stroud in the running game, and that preparation maybe kind of helped encourage C.J. Stroud to use his legs to extend plays and to scramble, because C.J. Stroud, throughout his career, he's been a pocket passer, but he used his legs a lot in this game, and that was a huge asset for the Buckeyes. His mobility was something that really did create some plays down the field, and he was able to make some yards on some scrambles and take advantage of some man coverage that Georgia ran from time to time. So that was a major addition to this Buckeye offense, and while they just used him sparingly in some design runs, I do think that did kind of help open things up, and Ohio State still able to mix in some nice runs from time to time, even though their running back room definitely took a hit. Trayvon Henderson, he was out for the playoff of a season-ending injury. Mayan Williams, he played in this game, and he had some positive contributions, even scored a touchdown, but he was not 100%. He was dealing with an injury, as well as kind of a stomach bug leading up to the Peach Bowl, but Ohio State, still a very deep running back room, still had some success on the ground. In addition to C.J. Stroud's running ability, I thought they did a really good job of setting up some nice pass plays, getting the ball out of Stroud's hand quickly that helps mitigate some of the Georgia pass rush and to help set up some more of an intermediate passing game, which has at times been kind of missing from the Buckeye passing attack. Having a very diverse passing game was very helpful to Ohio State. And for a lot of this game, Georgia really did not have much of an answer for the Buckeye passing attack. We talked about in our preview that probably the biggest matchup in this game was whether or not Georgia, and particularly in the interior, if they could impact Stroud. Stroud throughout his career has not been very good with pressure, but give a ton of credit to C.J. Stroud. I think it was the best game of his career. When he was under pressure, he did a good job of evading the rush and either creating plays down the field or even running from time to time. And we should also give a lot of credit to the Ohio State offensive line. That has been a point of contention for a lot of Buckeye fans going back to last season and all throughout the offseason. There's a lot of pressure on that group, and they have played pretty well this season, but there was a question as to whether or not they could hold up against this elite Georgia interior. We know Ohio State was great at the tackle position, but in the interior, I thought they really did a good job, and I think most of the night they actually 
actually won that battle against the All-American Jalen Carter. There were times where Carter was very fatigued. They did a good job of wearing him down, and that Georgia pass rush for most of the night didn't really hold up. Ohio State did what they needed to do to win this game. The Georgia defensive backs could not cover the Ohio State wide receivers. Marvin Harrison Jr. had a tremendous day. He was pretty much picking apart the Georgia secondary at will and getting wide open and even making contested balls. But he got injured in the second half. I think that was a pretty major loss for Ohio State. And even though Ohio State controlled the game, every time it looked like Ohio State was maybe going to pull ahead and create too much of a cushion where Georgia couldn't realistically come back. The Georgia defense was able to come up with some key stops. So Georgia, they were able to hang around and that allowed them to have then that fourth quarter come back. The Georgia Bulldogs finished very strong. And that's the thing when you're playing Georgia, you got to play a full 60 minutes, even though Ohio State probably should have won the game. Georgia was able to find a way late to win. And overall, the defenses in this game just didn't play very well. Ohio State, for a lot of the second half, did shut down the Georgia offense. Stetson Bennett didn't look great for a lot of the night. Brock Bowers was really a non-factor for parts of the game, but Georgia, when it really came down to it, they were able to make some big plays, and particularly at the end of the game, the one touchdown pass for Ohio State wide receiver fell down. It just seems like this Ohio State defense, even though they've improved so much under Jim Knowles, they still have been letting the Buckeyes down in some of these key situations, and that was a great example. Georgia at the end, able to drive down pretty quickly, score to go ahead by six points, left too much time on the clock, Ohio State able to drive within field goal range, but give Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs a lot of credit when Ohio State got into field goal range. They never really got past the fringe range of their kicker, and Georgia, they knew they couldn't really get much of a pass rush on Ohio State. They went very aggressive. They sent some blitzes, and that was effective. CJ Stroud was not able to get the ball off accurately with time, the pass rush on the blitzes really impacted those plays and it forced a relatively long field goal for their kicker. And Ohio State's kicker, of course, did not come very close to making that final kick. So Georgia finds a way to win. They will get the opportunity to defend their national championship in the national championship game. The Bulldogs were not nearly as impressive as what I was expecting, but give a lot of credit to Ohio State. They are an immensely talented team on paper. These are the two talented or most talented teams in the playoff, and they certainly looked their part. I think Ohio State came a long ways to living up to their potential, at least offensively, but Georgia, they find a way to win, they defeat a good opponent, and they advance to the national championship game against TCU. So a great day of college football, and we still have some more games if you're listening to this before January 2nd. There are four games, two non-New Year's Six Bowl games, the Relica Quest Bowl between Mississippi State and Illinois, and the Citrus Bowl between Purdue and LSU. If you haven't listened to our Week 2 of Bowl Season Preview, you can find our preview of those two games at the end of that episode. And then, of course, in our New Year's Six Bowl preview, we will talk about the two remaining New Year's Six Bowl games, the Cotton Bowl between Tulane and USC, and the Rose Bowl between Utah and Penn State. You can find in the description of the episode the timestamps for when our previews of those two bowl games occur. 
so do check those out. Before we conclude for today, some shout-outs for some very exciting games we've had in bowl season. All the way in the first day of bowl season, some really good games. UAB defeating Miami of Ohio in the Bahamas Bowl. And then later that day, in a ranked matchup in one of the best group of five bowls of bowl season, the Sun Belt champion Troy defeats the Conference USA champion UTSA. A couple other really good games we should shout-out to are the Liberty Bowl, where Arkansas defeated Kansas in triple overtime after a dramatic and impressive comeback from Kansas in regulation. The Cheez-It Bowl was a great game. Florida State edged Oklahoma, and the Gator Bowl also went right down to the wire. Really nice win for Marcus Freeman in his debut season, winning against South Carolina. And also on that day, the Sun Bowl was a fantastic game and a great fourth quarter by Pitt to pull it out and come away with a win, a field goal at the end of the game to seal the victory against UCLA. And also that day, the Arizona Bowl went into overtime and Ohio was able to come away with the victory against Wyoming. So really entertaining bowl season thus far. And in the lower divisions in the Celebration Bowl, Deion Sanders' last game doesn't go well for Jackson State. Very close game, but in overtime, North Carolina Central is able to win the so-called HBCU Championship. And we'll give some shout-outs to the lower division national champions in the NAIA. The Northwestern Red Raiders take home the national championship in NCAA Division II. Ferris State wins the title. And then in NCAA Division III, North Central from Illinois wins the Stag Bowl, which is their name for the national championship. So congratulations to those teams. After January 2nd, we have two games remaining, and they are both Division I national championship games. On Sunday, January 8th, from Frisco, Texas, we have the FCS championship between two great rivals in North Dakota State and South Dakota State. And then Monday, January 9th, TCU and Georgia will collide for the national championship. So congratulations to all of those teams. Look for our preview of the national championship games on Thursday. And then our final recap of the national championships will release on Tuesday, January 10th, the day after the national championship. Championship. So thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate all of our viewers and people who support the Ultimate College Football Podcast, and we hope that you will tune in again in the future, and please do feel free to share us or spread the word about us to any of your college football friends. We're always trying to uh, grow in numbers, so thank you for your support, and we will see you for our National Championship preview episode. We wish you all a very happy New year and hope that you had an excellent 22. Hopefully 2023 is even better and hopefully you all had a tremendous holiday and Christmas season. Thank you for listening once again and we will see you next time on the Ultimate College Football Podcast.